Hey there, podcast listener. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where each and every week, the Wealth Within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent, and more importantly, profitable trader and investor. For more information, products, services, and detailed show notes, including a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the News and Media tab in the navigation. Hello and welcome to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gillam, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within. And today's podcast, I'm going to be chatting about a float that's coming up that you may or may not even heard about. Um, it often, there's floats all the time on the Australian Securities Exchange. Um, most of them are, I suppose, relatively obscure companies and small companies that we you know, don't tend to hear of before they actually float. We hear of them generally after they float, unless you're with a with one of the brokers who are underwriting brokers because they'll send you emails and everything else. But occasionally there's more of a higher profile float, and this is the one I want to talk about today. And uh, what we're seeing at the moment is uh, McGrath Real Estate, and you probably people would recognise John McGrath from being you know on the some of the series of the blocks. Um, with some of his expert opinion from time to time. Uh, others would have seen him on the Sky Business Channel quite regularly. I've met John a few times at Sky Business when I was on it and um, he was there doing something else or, or on, a, uh, on a slightly different program. So nice guy, um, nice guy. And he, uh, he owns, currently he owns, um, I think from memory, probably nearly 60% of the shares in his company at the moment. So what they're looking at doing is obviously they're going to be floating on the Australian Securities Exchange. And some of the key statistics. Now, you can go to the ASX website, asx.com.au, and uh, go in, go into their float section. So just, I, I forget which one under, I don't remember which tab I got it under. Actually, I've downloaded the PDS, but you can go there. Uh, and search for uh, McGrath Real Estate if you like, and it'll come up to the page and it'll tell you the, the details, but give you the prospectus. Now, the prospectus you have to get from McGrath Real Estate itself. Um, so you might want to just go to their real estate, or oh, sorry, their website and go to Investor Relations and then click on that and go scroll down the page to when it says prospectus and follow the little prompts till you've been able to download the prospectus. Um, I'd suggest you... Um, do that wisely because it's about 220 pages long so i wouldn't suggest you print the whole prospectus up not unless you're super keen um, i've printed bits and pieces of it and uh, i'll preface today's podcast saying that I, I haven't read the whole lot and i'm definitely not going to read the whole lot this is um, not a company we can invest in as wealth within not because it's not a good company i'm not saying that it's just because it doesn't meet our mandate so i'm not going to necessarily or I won't make any opinion either way or another of another whether you should be looking at this year or not. What I'll do is give you some key things that you probably need to to consider should you go into that. Often with these highly public type of floats or the well-known companies that are floating, uh, the brokers get out there and use that public um, persona as a sales tool. And at the end of the day, an investment is good because the numbers stack up, nothing else. And so that's the most important one. So it doesn't matter whether it's a high-profile individual like somebody like John McGrath behind the company or not. It's numbers stack up, black and white stacks up, nothing else does. And that's where you need to be careful with lots of prospectuses because um, some of the people have been listening to my podcast for years and, and um, have read my book, How to Beat the Managed Funds, 
by 20% will know that I generally talk about prospectuses as a book of lies simply because they're put together by marketing departments in the broking houses in order to um, have that float fully subscribed so that the broker makes a truckload more money and everything goes through okay. So the marketing people have more to do with it than anybody else. There's generally lots of big pretty pictures in them. There's generally a lot of fluffy writing about a whole lot of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, the small print is exactly where you need to be. And that's sort of what I'll cover today. Um, basically, on page eight of the prospectus, it, you've got all the, it says the key offer statistics and important date. So the offer price is $2.10 a share. That's what they're offering it at. Now, why I'm suggesting this today or talking about this today is because today is the 23rd of November and the public offering is launched today so this will be coming out in the media a little bit more and you'll be hearing a little bit more about it so as i said the, the offer price is two dollars ten a share they're looking at raising 129.6 million dollars um the they're issuing new securities of 31.5 million um the total number of existing shares to be they're actually using some of those the, the proceeds to take an acquisition of another company and so that's some of the, the float or some of the money that they're going to be raising from this float to be able to act, actually acquire another company. Now, the, the acquisition, I think it looks like, I think it's about $52.5 million of the $129 million they're looking to use to acquire another company, which is a great idea because you can expand your company, all of a sudden the, the uh, price or the value of your company goes up. But it won't, you, you need to really look at this in terms of, sorry, I'm just knocking things. You need to look at it in terms of whether it's viable at $2.10 per share. Um, so that's some of the, one of the key type of forms that you need to look at, or that page eight of when's happening, how much they're raising and everything else. Now I'm just going to flick some pages, so excuse me if I'm making some noise. The important dates are the offer opens today, the 23rd of November for retail clients. So they've been probably doing an institutional book build. So the institutions get in, tell them how much they want, and now they're into the retail offering. I would suggest that's probably what's happened. The retail offer closes on the 2nd of December. So it's only open for a very small period of time and the settlement of if you apply for shares, settlement is on the 4th of December. Um, and they expect to commence trading on the ASX on the 7th of December. Um, so there's, that's on page nine of the prospectus. So basically you will need the prospectus to actually invest in this if you choose to do so. Um, couple of things, I yeah, there's lots of things like founders letters from John McGraw and chairman's letters and you'll find most of the actual um, prospectus is full of, as I said, fluff and everything else. Like one of the pages says, you know, the number of agents they've got is 565 and the value of their properties turned over is 11.6 billion so 11.6 billion sounds really great but that's not their actual revenue turnover that's how many properties the value of all the properties they turn over so remember they get about two percent of a sale price so two percent of that is actually their revenue so these are the sorts of things as i said the marketing department do and probably more than half of the prospectus is filled up with how many agents they've got and how their business model works and all sorts of different things and you know um uh, they're take on the residential market and all those sorts of things which is all things you need to put in a prospectus but at the end of the day if you're going to invest it's about give me the black and white numbers so with an investment overview i'll just give you a bit of this is page 15 actually and it's founded in 1988 by john mcgrath the business it's uh was one of a they're saying it's one of australia's leading residential real estate service providers in australia and i'd have to agree with that 
Um, it's an integrated residential real estate services. They've got five business units that provide a range of services, including residential property sales, property management, mortgage broking, auction services, and real estate training. Now, they basically are a hybrid model. Um, that's what they're talking about because they've got lots of different business units within all of that, which will follow in the acquisition of the company called Smolen uh, Group, consists uh, once following the acquisition, it will consist of a network of 22 company-owned offices and 53 McGrath-branded franchise offices. So you may have seen McGrath offices around. Some of them are franchises, which is, as I said there, there's 53. And that's generate the majority of revenue through both commissions and franchise fees. Um, it, they've got 600 agents and uh, the sales turn over 11.6 billion, as I mentioned. So to me, some of those sorts of things is I just look to look at what's their cost, what's their revenue base, and what kind of profit are they actually making so that's just a bit of a little bit of a brief overview of who they are and what they do now thing is is here's how they make their money so on page 17 the summary of how they make their money or generating their income 71 percent of their income comes from selling houses that's pretty much where it comes from so buying uh, so you know dealing with buyers and sellers in residential real estate they make 11 percent of their money from property management that means managing rental properties for investors and they make 14 percent from franchises um, in their in their company so 40 percent of franchise fees and turning the page two percent comes from mortgage broking and one percent comes from training and other services so they're the key points that you need to understand so they're heavily heavily reliant on the residential real estate market so that's also one of those risks that you need to look at so if you're bullish for the residential real estate market in terms of where you think it's going to be going over the coming years then you know McGraw might be a company that you would invest in because you're thinking well if residential real estate is growing they're going to be making more sales and as such therefore more revenues from commissions and also a lot more investors so if investors are comfortable they're making uh, more purchases and then obviously allowing them to rent out those premises for them so i'm just going to flick a couple more pages so excuse me um, as i said that um, basically they've got about 75 offers 617 agents as i said there's 31 mortgage brokers and 159 property managers that's on page 59 of their perspectives but you need to look as i said you need to look at those sorts of things one thing i'm going to do is go through to i'll just flick a few more pages and i'll go through to what's going to happen upon the float if i just as I said, there's 200 and something pages, so please excuse me. Basically, at the moment, as I mentioned earlier, John McGrath owns, um, I think he owns just over half, nearly 60% of the company. Uh, from there, from the current shareholders will own around about 50% of the company once the float's happening. So that's a really good sign that the, the current shareholders are, whilst some of the money is going to pay them back. So I think um, about... Um, 65 million or around about 50% of the sale is going to the current shareholders to give them some capital back on their business that's because you always got to look at why a business is selling or listing on the stock exchange sometimes it's because the the current owners want to realize their investment and so therefore sell the majority a big holding or a majority of their shares to put the money in their in their bank pocket in the sorry in their back pocket um, other times it's to be able to do more acquisitions so they get more money in so they can go buy more businesses to make their businesses more attractive so for example if your business is worth a dollar and you go and buy another business for it it's also worth a dollar all of a sudden your business is now worth two dollars but it may not cost you 
a dollar to buy that other business. So you can automatically, just by the joining of two businesses, you know, the one-on-one could enter three. And so therefore it could be even a better result for you by doing that. They're doing a bit of both. They're doing equity return to the shareholders, but also going out and uh, getting some cash flow to purchase another company or in, uh, in there. And also um, other working capital and other different things on it. So that's on page 29. You need to look at that. Page 28 and 29 are really a summary of those sorts of things that they're, they're actually doing. The last document I actually want to do when I move it over here is really just look at where their money is. And this is the important part. So page 88, 89, those sorts of areas, you're looking at their financials. So the first place I always go to is their financials to see what's going on because we do not have any independent, verifiable information in a prospectus really other than the financials. That's pretty much what you need to rely on. Um, If the stock's trading on the ASX, then I've got price data that I can use as a technical analyst to determine what the market sees and what the market believes in this company. Remember, perception is reality in the share market. Now, it doesn't matter what a broker tells you about how good this float's going to be until it's floated on the Australian Stock Exchange and somebody's paying real dollars for it, then nothing's happening. It's more fictional. And that's why I generally call prospectus's book of lies. And, And that's not... That's just a general term that's not specifically for this float. But basically you, what you need to look at is, as I said, the the, the revenues and their, their earnings and their, their um, EBITDA, which is the earnings before interest tax, deductions and allowances, I think it's mean, and, and their, their EBIT and net profit after tax as well. So you've got a couple of different figures that you've got. and They quote three years of figures if I'm just looking at that. So we're looking at, um, where are we go? They've got average selling price in the thousands on this page, 89. The value of the properties is um, they're doing, in 2013, they were doing 3.65 billion, I think. And now, as I said, they're up to, they're forecasting $7.3 billion. The average selling price um, in thousands was, in 2013, 1,008 times 1,000, obviously. And they're projecting well, 1,278 times 1,000, so it's about 25% more. Um, they currently got about 6,897 properties under management. They expect that to go away oh, pretty close, just under 30% on that. Revenue growth over the last three years. Revenue growth from 2014 was 31%. In 2015, it was 21%. They expect that to be 15% in 2013. The EBITDA growth, 113% in 2014, only 28% in 2015 and 14% in 2016. That's what the EBIT, 189% in 2014. For the financial year, 2015, 30% and 14% forecast. So you see how we've had a lot of growth and it's dropping off and they're expecting it to drop off. So that would suggest to me that they've had a boom on the on their property, their property market, and they're seeing the property market drop off a little bit. So it's the perfect time to float when everything's rosy and everything's is everybody thinks property is really the place to be. So you've got to look at those sorts of things. So right now, um, you know, if I look at some of the other statistics here is revenue. Um, in 2013, total revenue was $77.3 million. Um, 2015, million dollars so their revenues gone up significantly in the last few years 
they're forecasting that to be a slight improving improvement in 2016 to 141 million so um, about 20 million not even 19 million dollars they expect to grow um, the cost of sales is obviously growing with that their gross profit they're looking at 45.2 million dollars in 13 2013 and double that in 2016 this year the 2015 financial year ending the 30th of june 2015 76 uh, million so they've done exceptionally well so i'd say what's happening is is they're starting to see the plateau happening um, perfect time for them to float as well um, those all those figures aside the reality gets back down to is should you be buying floats and to me floats are always 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 risky they're riskier with companies you don't know and that haven't had a long history or even having haven't had a trading history i would never ever buy a float that is not making money already these guys do these are very good figures in terms of good growth over the last three years their big risk is it's real estate if the real estate market pulls back then profits will drop and then obviously share price will drop now we've already seen in the last few weeks since the government announcements on um, China and and uh, with um, Turnbull doing some announcements on China and China actually saying going and cracking down on people in China actually taking money out of China we're seeing some of the houses here in Australia having to be resold that weren't that were sold to Chinese investors um, wrongly sold them not following the rules and some of those houses are, are tens of millions of dollars to buy. We've seen a couple that are high profile. So what we've seen in the last few weeks in auctions around, I know in Melbourne, as I was only chatting, one of my good friends is a real estate agent, is, is there were lots and lots of Chinese people buying a month ago and uh, the majority of the crowd were Chinese buyers. Now the majority of the crowd are Aussies um, in the last couple of weeks. So we're talking a complete flip around. Now whether that's a short-term reaction or something more systemic, that needs to be seen but auction rates are down a little bit but what's going to happen medium to longer term uh, that's important now as a trader i'm always going to wait for the market to tell me what the stocks were i will never i don't buy floats um, that's one of my rules i will always buy them after they're floated if they turn out to be good because statistic proves it doesn't matter whether it's a government float or a private float like this that you will always get a better price not sorry that's a, an incorrect statement 50 percent of the time you can get a better price in the first 12 months after the float um, so that's a pretty high statistic so to me the chances are 50 50 you're going to get a better price but even if you get this even if you buy into this float at two dollars ten and it goes down you can buy some more if you want a dollar cost average which is what i don't suggest um, what i always if you don't get into the float and it starts to move up you can buy once you know it's moving up and to me that's a much more solid investment strategy um, always treat floats as high risk investing not to say that this is not a good float i think uh, it is a good float in terms of floats it's one of the better ones um, that i would see especially one of the better ones in the next few months i've you know, had a bit of a look at some of those and a lot more of them are quite high risk so you're taking a punt on the man himself john mcgrath not that uh, you know he's often big one-man shows now he's not a one-man show obviously he's got a team of really good people around him to help him make this business very very successful but he's out there being the public figure generating obviously more sales so that's also a risk in this business that whilst technically the business will still keep running you know if you're losing your big marketing force out the front there in john mcgrath who is a very good marketing force for them uh, that's another risk that you might have but again have a look at the prospectus 200 something pages you don't need to read all of it 
just read the financials and have a good look for yourself to see whether you decide this is something where you need to put your money at the moment. Um, hopefully that's been interesting how I look at floats. You know, as I said, I haven't gone through this whole perspective and I don't intend to because I just don't buy floats. Um, so it's not worth my while spending four hours of my time actually reading all the bits and pieces in there. But if you're interested in floats, give it a good read. But hopefully I've, I've said some interesting things for you to go and check out and, and uh, alert you to where you need to be. You've been listening to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gellin, the Chief Analyst here at Wealthlin. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more information, products and services, and detailed show notes with a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the news and media tab in the navigation.